0: Today we're going to talk about why would a loving God send people to hell, right? Just a, just a fun sermon, uh, just, to, just to lighten up your day. Uh, so that's a, that's a question, that's, that's, a, that's a question that people would have, that, have and that ask, if God is a God of love, then why would he send anyone to hell? And this is a big question. Uh, you know, if, if you don't know Jesus, uh, you're going to burn forever where the worm never dies, and uh, it's going to be anxiety and anguish. That doesn't sound very loving, does it? doesn't sound like a loving God would send people to hell. So if hell is real, then there's a devil, and it would be one of the devil's goals would be for you to not believe that there is hell. If there is a devil... I believe there is. One of his goals would be to convince you that heaven, that hell is not a real place and that you wouldn't take it seriously. I mean, people kind of, yeah, you know, I'm going to go to hell, and it's going to be one big party with all my friends. They always talk like that, <clears throat> you know. There will be lots of beer in hell, you know. I don't know why there would be beer in hell, but uh, it just seems like, you know. I grew up Pentecostal, you know you drink a beer you're going to hell. So uh, uh, you know, so if if there's no if there's no long term, if there's no accounting for how you live, if there's no judgment, if then you can live however you want. You can live any way you want. You can justify sin. You can reject Christ with no fear of eternal consequences. You can live uh, a ridiculously self-centered life. Uh, craving comfort and just doing what you want, regardless of how it hurts other people, how it impacts other people. Uh, you can reject any level of sacrificial living. You just take care of yourself. You can avoid persecution. You can love this world that's not going to last. The reality is hell is a, is a pretty common subject throughout the Bible. And the most loving person in the universe, the most loving person in the universe is God, and the manifestation of that that we have interacted with is Jesus. Jesus is, the reason we know that Jesus is the most loving person in the universe is that he gave his life for us. He laid down his life for us. But Jesus wasn't just some angry street preacher telling everybody that they were going to go to hell. He warned people. About the dangers of hell. Matthew chapter 5, verse 29. This is a this is one of those those verses you think, whoa. You know those whoa verses. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. Okay, yeah. For it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right eye makes you stumble, cut it off. If your right hand, not right eye, it can make you stumble, if your right hand makes you stumble cut it off and throw it from you for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell so well that's some pretty strong language right are y'all awake yet thank you I'm, you know yeah it's pretty intense pretty intense so what what's jesus saying there Well, he's saying for one thing he wants us to take sin seriously Words, it's to not just be flipping about sin. Well, it's no big deal. You know, everybody does it. That's most, most of the time when you, when you try to talk to people about, about, you know, you need Jesus in your life. It's like, what's the big deal? Everybody sins. And that's true. Everybody does sin, but God doesn't see it as no big deal compared to going to hell. Dealing with your sin may be difficult, but it's important. In other words, Jesus said, it's important for you to deal with your sin. I think Jesus would rather you stop sinning than pluck an eye out, don't you? I mean, the, the comparison is not to cause you to cut your hand off. It's to cause you to, to think about sin. And Jesus, in this, he's saying, it'd be better, though, it'd be better to have one eye and one hand and not go to hell. So Jesus is saying, I, Jesus doesn't want anyone to go to hell. The word hell in Matthew 5 is translated from the Greek word Gehana. Gehenna, Gehana refers to an actual place in the southwest corner of the city of Jerusalem. This is, uh, there's a photo, I think, yeah. This is a photo, southwest corner of Jerusalem. It's, uh, the, it's known as the Valley of Ben Hinnom. The Valley of Ben Hinnom. Uh, the history of it. for centuries before Jesus, this is the place. Where Israel from Sol- beginning really before, before, but with Solomon, they began to wa- worship the false god Molech. And here's a picture of Molech. Mo- the, Molech was a god that was worshiped that they offered their children to as sacrifice. So in this valley, they worshiped Molech. And the way they worshiped Molech is that they would build a big fire. He was a big brazen image, and they would build a fire inside his belly, and then they would place their children in his hands above the fire. That was detestable. You can imagine that was detestable to God. And This was the valley where that took place. Jeremiah 7:31 says, "They have built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire." And if you know we looked at that, the, the picture that I showed you was a fairly modern picture of Jerusalem. you'll notice there wasn't much in the valley. It was still pretty barren. It's barren because the people believe that this valley is cursed because of the activities that took place there, that it is cut off from God. Nobody would go there because of its history. Because of its history, it became, in Jesus' day, it was just a nasty garbage dump where they dumped dead animals, human waste, sewage, bodies of executed criminals were put there. It was a horrendous smell, and there was a smoldering fire there that never burned out. It was often referred to as the land of no more, the land of no more beauty, no more laughter, no more peace, no more friendship, no more joy, no more hope, no more purpose, no more chances. So they thought of that place, that is the place where there is of no more. So when Jesus talked about hell, he wasn't talking about a dungeon in the basement of heaven. Much worse, he was talking about a place that is cut off from everything good, a place that is away from the presence of God. In its essence, what is heaven? Heaven is the place of God's presence. Now, God's presence is everywhere, but the fullness of his presence, where we experience the fullness of his presence, is in heaven. What is the essence of hell then? The essence of hell is the absence of God's presence. And we've, you and I have never experienced the absence of God's presence. We've ne- we, we have no idea what it would be like to have all beauty and light and joy and hope and peace and goodness All of the nature and character of God removed and all that is left is darkness and sorrow and wickedness. So the essence of hell is the absence of God's presence. Second Thessalonians 1.9 says this, these pay, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. So why did God create hell? Well, number one, hell exists for God to righteously punish Satan. Satan in our culture looks often like a harmless dude in a red suit with a pitchfork and horns. But actually, he is the very embodiment of evil. He's behind every addiction Every abuse, every fear, every shame, every rape, every incest, every sexual abuse, every trafficking. He's known as the destroyer, the deceiver, the dark angel, the accuser, the tempter, the wicked one, the thief, the father of all lies. There's no truth in him, Jesus said. He came to steal joy, to kill your faith, to destroy your health, ruin your marriage, and to kill your children if possible. John 10, 10 says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. Revelation 20, verse 10 talks about the punishment that the devil is going to see receive. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet also are and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. I don't know about you, but I think that seems pretty fair. For all the people that he's tormented and led into eternal torment, that he will be tormented day and night forever. So hell exists to bring a final punishment to Satan and those who have followed him. Number two, hell exists to, for God to righteously punish evil. There has to be a place where justice is done. Second Thessalonians 1.8 and 9, God says, Dealing out retribution to those who do not know God, this is Paul speaking Thessalonians, and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. This is one of the great elements of hell. It's away from the presence of God. Especially In our culture today, when it comes to sin, people prefer a God who looks the other way. It's no big deal, right? As long as you're not hurting anyone. But it is impossible for our God to be holy without being just. If he is holy, he must be just. Think about three people that you know, three people you love. Think about if it's children, think about your children. If it's your wife or your husband and you love them, think about them. Uh, And right now, those three people are walking into Chick-fil-A. Well, not today because it's Sunday. So they're going to have to go a place of sinners like McDonald's. uh, (coughs) Whataburger, something like that. You know, can I just make this point? This, is, this isn't about heaven and hell, but it's important. Whataburger is not the same since those people from Chicago bought it. <laughs> I'm just saying. Okay. <clears throat> so, so this gunman walks up point blank and kills these three people that you love. He's apprehended, he's taken before the judge. And the judge says, let's don't be too hard on him. He's had a bad life. He had a really bad day. He got stuck in traffic. He had a flat tire. His mama was mean to him. All the things that we would associate that might cause bad behavior. So what do we say? We say, well, okay. No, we don't say okay. We say No. What do we want? We want justice. We want justice. He has to pay. And the reason we want justice is because we are made in the image of God. And there's something about us that cries out for justice. God's holiness and justice demand it. You see, man's dignity and freedom demand that there be a hell. You have dignity and worth and value, and you get to make free choices. You're here today of your own free will. To be able to choose him, you have to also have the option to reject him. You have freedom. He will call you, and he will choose you, but he will not force you to go to heaven. C.S. Lewis said it this way, if a game is played, it must be possible to lose it. If the happiness of a creature lies in self-surrender, no one can make that surrender but himself, though many may help him make it, and he may refuse it. I would pay any price to say truthfully that all will be saved, but my reason retorts, with or without their will. If I say without their will, I at once perceive a contradiction. How can the supreme act of voluntary surrender occur involuntarily? If I say with their will, my reason replies, how if they won't give in? Every person in eternity, the essence of eternity, of heaven, of hell, is the extended capacity to fulfill in eternity the deepest yearning and desire of your heart while here on earth. If you're a believer in Christ, one of the things you enjoy, or one of the things I will say that I enjoy is worship. I enjoy worship. Being in the presence of God, I enjoy being here. I enjoy meeting you and being with God's people. That's why I always get in trouble for walking around and talking to people too much. Uh, and I I I love I love discovering. I I, I love preaching, but I, I like I like the preparation of preaching. I enjoy discovering things that I didn't know before and learning more and more about God and his nature. And in in eternity, eternity is an expansion of those desires, the desires that you began to see here on earth but cannot be fulfilled until you get to heaven. You talk about worship. What do you think worship's going to be like in heaven? It's going to be incredible. It's going to be marvelous as we as we as we <laughs> As we see God clearly, talk about discovery, the depths of his presence, the depths of his peace and love. His, think about this. The nature of God is for us the last undiscovered country. It is a place that we will spend eternity with his glories being revealed and being revealed and being revealed and being revealed, because the depth of his nature is unfathomable. It will never run out of depth. I mean, just think about this little simple thing. This earth, there are places on this earth, the Mariana Trench, that the water is so deep we cannot really access it because the pressures are so great. That's just this little created ball. It's not even God. It's just this little created space. In this little created space, there's places that we cannot, we don't have the tools and the resources to really discover it because it's just too dangerous. Yet we're going to get, as believers, to spend eternity... in this great expanse of the discovery of who God is in worship, in joy, peace, intimacy, relationship, the of it we've never experienced, but we will in heaven experience the fullness of that. Heaven, we're not going to sit around on clouds playing harps. Saying, well, let's sing that song again. Woo, this is fun, isn't it? You know. It is going to be the discovery, the revelation of that which we've longed for here to know God more, to love Him better, to not be hindered by our selfishness and our stupidity, to be able to, to delve into His fullness. On the other hand, if you've rejected the love of God and His way of salvation, you see, God has been wooing and pulling and calling you through events in your life, through people in your life, through creation. The heavens declared the glory of God. God has used all of those things to say, I'm here and I have a purpose and I love you and to draw us to himself. And if you, in all of those pleadings, have said, no, 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 and God says, okay, I respect that. See if you spend your life pushing God away, your your conscience convicts you, and you in a sense say to whatever that conviction is, leave me alone. If you see the glory of nature, a sunrise, some incredible place of beauty, the ocean, the Grand Canyon. You see some place that is incredible and the birth of a child and you hold that baby in your hands for the first time and there's some there's some kind of a stirring there's something that stirs within you that this 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 is more this is something incredible but you just say nah these are just natural processes there is no evidence of god Someone invites you to church and you say, hey, bug off. Mind your own business. Leave me alone. See, if if you've spent your whole life trying to ignore and resist and distance yourself from God, God says, in eternity, I will give you the expanded capacity to experience in eternity what your deepest yearnings were on earth for God to leave you alone you will be truly and eternally left alone you will get what you wanted to its fullness and you have the eternity to plumb the depths of your own little soul that is misery away from the presence of the Lord. 2 Thessalonians, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. What does God do in eternity? He gives you what you said you wanted all of your life. You didn't want God to bother you anymore. And you have an eternity away from everything that is glorious and wonderful and beautiful. Jesus told a parable. And in this parable, it's really a voice from hell because we have someone speaking to us in this parable that Jesus told about Lazarus. Not the Lazarus that was raised from the dead, another Lazarus. But we have this story about Lazarus and it's what's happening in hell. Luke chapter 16, verse 9. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, joyously living in splendor every day. So here's a man who's got a lot of wealth. He has, we know that he's wealthy because he's dressed uh, in purple, and purple is a royal color, and purple was very expensive to produce. So if you could afford purple clothing, you were probably royalty or you were just very wealthy. And if you were very wealthy, you were probably royalty. So he's explained, this is someone who's very wealthy, uh, and he dressed in fine linen. Fine linen was very expensive. Uh, A nice piece of linen uh, could feed a person for a year. The cost of a piece of linen clothing would feed someone for a year. So, And he's living joyously and in splendor. So he's just getting everything he wants, right? And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, that someone was putting him there, hoping that this man, with his overabundance, would maybe help Lazarus. This man's got a lot of resources, uh, but maybe he'll be able to help Lazarus. The poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate, covered with sores and longing. To be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. So, I, I just learned this, and I thought this was interesting. Uh, of course, they ate with their hands. You know, they didn't use utensils. They they reclined at a table. They ate with their hands. In Jesus' day. So one of the they would use bread during a meal to, to wipe their hands like you would a napkin. They would wipe their hands with bread. They would, in a sense, wash their hands with bread. Then they would throw that bread to the dogs. they throw it on the floor, crumbs from the table. So Lazarus is just longing that he could, if he could just get what they're throwing away. He just, he's just hoping that, you know, just that which is being thrown away, if he could get that. And he wasn't getting any of that. Now, the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, he lifted up his eyes, being in torment, and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried out and said, Father Abraham! Have mercy on me and send Lazarus so that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am agony in this flame. In Hades, the place of the dead, he was in torment. He was in agony. He was being punished. He was, asked, you know, just, just that's a little bit of relief, right? Send Lazarus to just put a drop of water on my tongue would be some relief. Please send me some relief from this ongoing agony. Luke chapter 16, he says, Then I beg you, Father, that you send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers in order that they may warn them so that they will not come to this place of torment. There's four lessons that we get from the other side. First of all, the rich man was fully conscious and aware. He knew where he was. He had memory, he, had, uh, he was in agony, and he had a massive regret. The Bible describes hell as a place where there's wailing and gnashing of teeth. You know what gnashing of teeth is? Gnashing of teeth is regrets. It's when you've, have you ever done something, you go, oh, oh, what, you know, you ever make that kind of mistake, that, that level of mistake where you're like, oh, that was stupid, Oh, it's too late now. Why did I do that? That's what, that's what gnashing of teeth is. You're, you're in anguish over a decision that you made. He, has, he knows who he is. He's fully aware, and he's full of regret. Secondly, his eternity is irrevocably fixed. It can't be changed after death. It's not like he's not saying, hey, Abraham, can you get me over to the other side? No, there's not any chance of that. Because here's what the Bible says. It's appointed to men once to die, to die once. And after this comes judgment. So after you die, it's not multiple choice. You don't get to change your mind. I mean, who wouldn't? If you actually realize, okay, there is a God and there's an eternity. I, I, I've been playing on the wrong team. I'd like to change sides. Who, who would not change sides, right? Right? But his, his eternity was irrevocably fixed. The third thing is, which is interesting, the rich man knew that his suffering was just. He complained about the pain, but he never said, this isn't fair. He never said, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I don't deserve this. He knew that he deserved it, and he was concerned enough about it that he said, I know the same thing will happen to my five rich brothers if they don't trust Jesus to get help. They knew, he knew that his suffering was judged. And then the fourth thing is, the rich man begged and pleaded for someone to help his brothers know Jesus and avoid hell. Send someone to, to tell them send someone tell. he's begging please send someone to tell my brothers so they won't come to this horrible place see one of our last arguments is that it's not fair it's not fair why would good people go to hell well the reason is because there's really no good people The Bible is very clear, Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, this is a quote from the Old Testament, there's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks after God. In other words, we're we're all sinners. Romans 3.23 says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And then the Bible tells us the wage of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So there's none righteous. And I've said this before and I've used this before, but the reality is we've all broken the law. If we're trying to be saved by the law, we're all lawbreakers. Because we've all, we've all dishonored our parents. We've all stolen something. We've, we've all bore false witness. We've all lied. We've all not put God, the very first one, We've not put God first in our life. We've we've all sinned uh, and and didn't measure up. And so we're worthy of, of judgment. See, so because God is holy and just, because he's just, he must punish sin. Doesn't that make sense? But he's not just just. He's also love. So since he is both just and loving, he has made a way of escape. Because God's desire is to punish Satan with hell, but God's desire is to reward you with his presence in heaven. Jesus came so that no one, he's not willing that any would perish, but all would come to repentance. Romans 5.8, God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is is the way. How do we know that God loves us? Because Jesus died for us. He, He sent his own son to die in our place. See, the reality is God doesn't send people to hell. He offers them eternal life with him. And they reject it and choose hell. People reject God and choose hell because Jesus made a way for salvation. You say, well, what about those people who haven't heard? You ever wonder about that? What about people who have never heard the gospel? Well, here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us, that we're actually going to be judged. If you don't know Jesus, here's what has happened. You stand before the you know, the, the great throne judgment and God's going to say, okay, why should you get in heaven? And we all raise our hand and say, I cheated. I accepted Jesus as my Savior and Lord. He says, okay, you're good because his sacrifice cleansed you from sin and made you righteous. You can't stand in the presence of a holy God as a sinner unless you've been forgiven. But let's say that You didn't accept Jesus, but you you think, well, I was a good person. You know, Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. And the reality is, what if you in eternity were judged by your own standard? What if you were, you know, if you ever said to people, you know, I can't believe they lied like that, but you know, you know, if you think about it, that you've lied exactly the same way or you've, been, you've betrayed. You've done all the things that you despise in other people. We've done all the things we despise in other people. And if we were judged by that, we would all be found guilty. Through that, because of that, the whole world is guilty before God. But God, in his mercy and his grace and his love, provided a way of escape. There is a way of escape. God wants to punish Evil in hell, but he wants to take you to heaven to spend a glorious eternity of discovery with him, of ex- forever. And so shall we ever. The Bible describes ever be with the Lord. It's going to be glorious, marvelous, wonderful, greater. The Bible says, "I has I hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard, it hasn't even entered into the heart, the mind. You haven't even." You can't even think of the things that God has prepared for those that love him. The glorious eternity that is before us is is unbelievable. But the agony before those who have rejected God and pushed God away in eternity, God will say, I respect that. You want to be alone? You want to be left alone? You got it. You have the eternal capacity to experience being away from the presence of God. You have chosen your agony. Amen. Bow your heads just for a moment. Here's what I want you to know before you leave. I want you to know this. Jesus died to save us. God loves us so much. He didn't have to do anything. But his plan before the foundation of the world was to redeem us through his son, that he would bring us into his family eternally. We have the promise in Christ of a glorious relationship throughout eternity. Jesus died to save us from our sins. Paul said, Jesus Christ came to save sinners, of whom I am the chief. Jesus comes to save us and bring us into his eternal glory. And he offers us salvation. But he doesn't make us receive it. He gives us the opportunity. He gives us the faith. He gives us the choice. And the choice is before you. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, the choice is before you to say yes to Jesus. Yes, Jesus, I need you in my life. And if you haven't made that decision, you'd like to say so today. Just I'm, I'm not going to make a big deal of it. You just slip up your hand, put it back down, and we're going to pray. I need to receive Jesus. I want to say yes to Jesus in my life today. Thank you. I will receive Jesus as my Savior. I believe that Jesus came to save me eternally, so that I will have in heaven a glorious future in him. Amen. All right, let's stand together. thank you. let's pray. Father in Jesus' name. Would you just pray with me? Just if you if you if you can just To help those raise their hands, just pray with me as I pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I give my life to you. I say yes to you. I know I've spent a lot of years pushing you away. But right now, Jesus, I invite you into my life. I ask you to be the Lord of my life. I ask you to take control of my life. Because I want to live with you forever in eternity in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Have a great week. We'll see you.